Max Spiegel is the president of Certified Collectibles Group, CCG. CCG is one of the world's premier grading companies, and they own a portfolio of different grading companies and services, ranging from coin grading to card grading to grading of all other types of collectibles. CCG also received investment from private equity firm Blackstone, which makes their trajectory something interesting that we can watch as a reflection of the broader collectible space. And Max is one of the best people in the world to talk to us about this. Max has also been a collector of coins and other collectibles since he was a kid and has turned that passion into a full-time career as now president of CCG. It's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And please follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and leave us a review. And here's the episode with Max Beagle, president of CCG. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Max Spiegel. He is the president at the Certified Collectibles Group, also known as CCG. They are a group of independent third-party companies focused on the expert authentication, grading, and conservation of collectibles. That could be anything from coins to stamps, comic books, trading cards, and a lot more. So, Max, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I'd love to hear the story of how you got into... Maybe the collecting business, you know, like uh, adult Max. I'm sure we could talk about like kid Max later. But, you know, you are now the president of, you know, one of the, the world's premier collectibles grading companies. What what was your path from, let's say, I guess, school to getting into this business? Because you now oversee all these different types of collectibles. It's a very interesting space to be in. How do you introduce yourself? How did you get into this in the first place? Yeah, so you know, there's there's probably not that much of a difference between Kid Max and Adult Max, especially okay. when it comes to collecting. So, you know, just to to start all the way, you know, way back when I was maybe five years old, you know, I started as a coin collector. I, I loved coins. I saved my parents' pocket change when they would come home. They'd lay it on the counter, and I would start, you know, organizing it by date. And then somebody taught me about mint marks, so I would organize it by mint marks. And I don't know why I did it. But there was something about that that like brought harmony to me. Like I like just having them very organized in that way. And I just got more and more serious into collecting. You know, they started to bring me through a family friend to major coin shows. I went to huge coin shows in New York. I went to, you know, young numismatist programs. They call them YNs. Um, so I got really, really active. I went to this coin summer camp even out wow. in Colorado. So I did coins literally throughout my childhood and a lot of people they stop doing it when they get to high school or college and not not me for whatever reason i was just th that was a huge passion of mine and i continued to do it i did internships at different auction companies and so literally um graduate college and two months later i started working at ngc which is the coin grading company within the certified collectibles group i started as a coin grader you know i'd already been collecting coins at that point for man, you know, 15 years probably. Um, so I started as a coin grader, but very, very quickly, I gravitated towards the business side of the certified collectibles group, got very involved in our marketing, in our sales, international development. Next thing you know it, uh, 13 years have passed and now I'm president of CCJ. So, so many questions there. Uh, and, and, and like in, in the 13 year period, well, okay, let me think here. Maybe the two questions I'll have to ask first are, over this, what, 13-year period you've been working in the collectibles industry beyond just your own interest as personally, what have you seen change in the industry, like at a macro level? And also maybe like a follow-on question to make sure I don't forget it. But, you know, I, I was doing a bit of research into grading in general. And I know for cards, which, you know, is one of our big focus areas at New Street, a lot of these card grading companies 
came up in the 90s. So it's not like, and, and to, for, for many people that, that might be a surprise, like it's not like card grading was around like the 20s. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that, but I'd love to know what has changed the last 13 years. And if you kind of frame grading and the business use of grading across collectibles, love to hear your take on how that's evolved over the last like 50 years, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, grading as it exists today really started with coins. So we had a competitor, uh, PCGS, they started in 1986. We started in 1987 as a coin grading company. Um, it, as time went on, we started to get into other collectible categories. So just to give you some more background on CCG, in 2000, we started grading comic books. Uh, 2005, we started grading banknotes, you know, paper money. Uh, then we started doing stamps, trading cards, sports cards. You know, now we're into video games. We're going to be getting into VHS grading, toy grading, and so on and so forth. And um, honestly, we were a little bit late with card grading. You know, uh, other card grading companies definitely existed before us. And, you know, we could, we could talk more about that. But, you know, I think what it's shown is that in a variety of collectible categories, pretty much in any collectible category, people have questions of authenticity. You know, is this collectible real that I'm about to purchase? And what is its condition? And you can't, unfortunately, trust a seller to accurately represent the authenticity and the grade of a collectible. You know, they, not that they necessarily want to intentionally fool you, but they have an, a vested interest in portraying it as being the best collectible that it can be. And so we eliminated that bias. We don't buy and sell collectibles. Um, we don't value collectibles. All we do is we tell you, is it real? And what's the condition of it? And because of that, it added a lot of trust into the collectibles market and it's brought a lot of new people into the collectibles markets. And you've seen that in you know coins, in cards, in comic books. It's made people much more comfortable. That brings in a lot more people. And it definitely does impact the valuations. If people are more confident, they're going to pay more money for that collectible. Um, so I would say, you know, that phenomenon had already occurred well before I got to CCG. I mean, it certainly has accelerated in the 13 years, but people already recognize the importance of authentication and grading. I think the biggest thing in 13 years, and COVID really, you know, sort of forced this issue, is... It's the embrace of the internet and the embrace of technology in the collectibles business. I mean, for the most part, collectibles has been a bit old fashioned and, and you know, a lot of the dealing was done face to face at trade shows, at local shops. And if you didn't have a local shop um, that you could deal in or one that you trusted, it was really difficult. I mean, you'd have to travel around. You know, I remember I used to travel all the time. Um, both for business and just for my personal collection. You'd be flying all around the country to try to get collectibles uh, uh, for your collection. And so what really happened was that people started buying and selling online. And the reason they had the confidence to buy and sell online is that it was authenticated and graded by a third party. Um, so that, that really changed the game. And then when COVID started and you could only buy and sell online, then you had like whatever remnants of the hobby was still very like old fashioned and not interested in using the internet and still like to do the face to face. They all had to get behind it. And so then things really, really blew up in a great way uh, at the start of, of, of COVID. And I don't think there's any turning back. Like we're not going to go back to, to, you know, buying and selling in person. There's, there's still a place for trade shows, especially in terms of like meeting people and getting the experience, but the real, bulk of the trading, that's all getting done digitally now.
Totally, totally. And and of course, you know, we've all seen huge growth in the past couple of years, particularly. I think one of the narratives that you hear a lot in the media about COVID and let's say collectibles, well, well, one, of course, when we were all indoors and spending more time online, of course, you know, stimulus checks, whatever, people just started spending more time buying products on the internet. But another sort of narrative that I've heard a lot is, let's say folks from a like a mid mid age generation were getting back into things from their childhood. There's like this element of nostalgia where it's like, oh, like particularly slightly more skewed male audience of let's say folks in their 30s, 40s who are now getting back into collecting things because they'd reached just like inflection point of their career, disposable income. I know that was like one of the big narratives there. Uh, from from your own personal take, because obviously you're like on the, the front lines, if you will, of seeing the increase in interest. Would you say that's like a narrative that's aligned with what you guys are seeing? Are there other areas that you think are underrated elements that cause this growth during COVID? Well, look, I think you hit the nail on the head with nostalgia. I really do believe that we as a grading service are in the nostalgia business. And if you look at where we've expanded into, I mean, look, there's the traditional categories. Cards have been collected for a long time. Coins have been collected for a long time. But we're now in video games. And that market's gigantic. And what people are buying are games that, you know, they're nostalgic about, that they used to play, like whether they played Halo or, or you know, a, a Pokemon or, or Super Smash Brothers or anything like that. VHS grading, you know, I never would have predicted that VHS tapes would be collectible. But if you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense. Like the ritual of going, you know, I remember as a kid, my, my dad would take me and my brother to Blockbuster on a Friday night and we would go around Blockbuster and we would pick out, you know, we could pick out one movie to watch for the weekend. We'd be able to get that like pre-made popcorn box with the Blockbuster logo on that. And like, we'd have a Blockbuster card. Like it really was like a ritual. And so I remember very fondly, like picking out movies that we'd have for family movie night. And while I never connected in my head, like, Hey, yeah, someday this will be collectible and worth some money. Now that I look back on it from the position I'm in, it makes perfect sense because people get a lot of joy of owning Back to the Future now or whatever, you know, VHS tape they like. It's the same thing with toys. Like people are really into that. And you know, I think people buy, you know, let's say a Funko Pop because they either appreciate the IP that it features or they're nostalgic for some aspect of the IP that it features because, you know, Funko runs a pretty, pretty wide range. So I think you're right. And I think when people had time on their hands during covid I think there was a lot of self-reflection just generally uh, uh, among people. And I think a lot of them realized like, hey, these items from my childhood that now I can afford to buy, and maybe I can afford to buy the best version of it, which is some bragging rights, um, it brings me happiness and I want to go back to it. So I think that nostalgia factor really drove a lot of people. And I think we as a business can probably do more to even fuel that nostalgia. But I would imagine if, if I wanted to look what's the next category to get into? I would just try to figure out like, what are people most nostalgic for? Maybe that's vinyl records or something. And um, that's probably the next big category to, you know, for, for, for grading. It, it's funny you mentioned the vinyl records because I know two grading companies, I'm probably aware too, that were founded or launched in the last month, one by Steve Aoki, another one by this guy Rogers in, in Dallas, uh, tuned in grading, actually talking to him tomorrow. Um, those, those literally like, I guess they were also based on, of course, their own assessment of market demand. It's interesting to see that. And when I think about, you know, CCG as like a portfolio of different companies, you know, and NGC, if I got that right, is the was the first company that was founded based on coin grading. Uh, 
was it the same story where now I forget how many exact companies fall under CCG, but the story of CCG growing into this portfolio of companies, was that also based on, let's say, a recognition of trends and demand throughout the last, what's it, 30 or so years? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we like to say internally that we never really decide what category to get into next. If the market decides what category needs our services and they will come to us and they will say, hey, we can benefit from an independent arbiter of authenticity and grade. So that's what happens with comics. Like that was the next category that we got into. Literally key members of the comic space, they came to us and they said, what you guys are doing for coins, we need in comics and we want to partner with you and we want to do it in comics. And so we, we took a lot of feedback from the market you know, obviously we, we, we need to be totally in, independent, but we still want to make sure that what we're doing makes sense for the market. Took a lot of feedback, launched comics. Same thing happened in paper money. I don't think paper money would have been ready before 2005. Like it took until then for that market to sort of mature to the level where, okay, authentication and grading makes sense. It's viable. It's the same thing with, um, with stamps when we got into stamps. So I think you can't force it but there's a certain point where a market reaches this critical mass. It starts to have you know high valuations. It starts to have a large number of collectors. And then at that point, it becomes very obvious to enter that market. And for vinyl, look, it is a very large category. I think for, for us, it's something that's on our radar. We've got a lot of things on our plate right now. So some of it now, the, the challenge for us is just picking and choosing where do we want to focus our attention because there's so much interest in collectibles we probably can't do every collectible all at once. That's why I think it's an interesting way to have CCG, CCG structured to, to have that expertise. Because, I mean, is the difference between grading, let's say, because, I mean, I'm, I'm mo most familiar with card grading and, like, the sort of four main categories someone looks at in terms of, like, a card quality. Across things like stamps or coin grading, without needing to go into, of course, like, detail here, uh, are there major differences? Because I imagine like at a business perspective, you need to hire different skill sets or has technology, I don't know, also made that somewhat easier to scale. Love to just know like how scalable is, is, is grading as you think about your, what you've done as a company as well. Yeah. So the, the model itself can be replicated. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's nuances in everything that we do and those are defined by the experts that we hire. Um, but the, the, the process is really similar. Um, thus far, all of the collectibles that we do are two-dimensional. Like they, there's a front and a backer and the coins, it's an obverse and a reverse. Um, Funko will be the first category and we're planning to launch that sometime in the summer. That'll be the oh, first yeah. category that's three-dimensional. So that'll be really interesting and it makes it a little bit more complicated to grade. It takes a lot longer. Comics is a little bit more complicated because although it's two-dimensional, there, there are insides to it. So, you know, you have to look at each one of those pages. But typically what we do, and, you know, um, it, it's pretty much the same in every category. We go out and we find a world-class expert, and then we use that world-class expert to take our proven model and refine it for whatever category they've been selected for. So it always starts with the people. We're very much in a people business. Uh, I think that's always going to be the case. But that being said, um, like any good business, we are exploring like AI. We've invested a tremendous amount of money in AI. Uh, we've invested a tremendous amount of money in automation. I don't think that those will ever replace the graders. I would be really shocked for my knowledge of collecting if, if there was ever a situation where it was fully AI automated. But 
I think AI can automate some of the more time-consuming tasks like measuring, you know, the centering of a card. I'm, I'm very confident that could be done. I'm very confident it could help identify a card. Um, so basically give, you know, I, I would think of it like it gives the greater superpowers, it makes them more efficient, but it never replaces the greater. I know that in 2021, uh, Blackstone acquired a majority stake in CCG. And of course, with that, probably some ambitious plans for growth moving forward. Uh, where would you say like the future lies given the context of, I guess, one, the, the Blackstone investment, and if maybe you want to talk about like how that all came about. And then the second thing, you know, given your role as president, where do you see like your own personal like focus areas as you look to like, let's say the next few years of growth for CCG? Yeah, for sure. Well, we were getting a lot of interest from private equity firms, family offices, strategic partners, um, you name it, in 2020 and 2021. I mean, we must have had, I would guess, at least two dozen conversations with people who are interested in the certified collectibles group. And at the time, you know, our, our, our majority ownership, uh, you know, to their credit, most of them just didn't resonate. Like they were just your typical private equity company. Like they would say, you know, we'll buy you, we'll hold you for three to eight years, and then we'll sell you to somebody else. Like they just, they didn't seem to sort of get it. They didn't have that same level of enthusiasm for the business. Um, but I could tell you, you know, having sat in on each one of those meetings, Blackstone was very different. First of all, one of the main guys in the deal team loved collectibles. I mean, this was a guy who, he would stay up till two in the morning watching whatnot. And then he would be texting us about it the next day. Like, oh, I saw this collectible on whatnot. Like, what do you think about this? Like he was so insanely focused on collectibles. And it was really exciting to have somebody on the other side of the table who was as passionate about what we were doing as, you know, as we are. And um, so that definitely helped. But on top of that, like Blackstone said, you know, and they made it very clear, we're not going to come in and just, you know, slash a bunch of costs. We're not looking to be the low cost provider. We're not looking to, uh, um, you know, just quickly like flip this company. We're looking to invest in the company. Like we believe in what you guys are doing. We believe in the team. And so very much to their credit, they've given us carte blanche to take all the profits that we're making and pour them back into the business. And the way that that's benefited the business and therefore our customers, you know, when they acquired us, we had probably a one-year backlog of trading cards and sports cards. Like, like we were, we could not keep up. We didn't have enough real estate. We didn't have enough people. We didn't have the right software. Our comics backlog was almost two years. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. Like, we just could not keep up with anything, um, which was great. We were really good at getting business in, not as good as getting business back to the customers. And so they they allowed us to take on a ton of additional real estate. We now have five buildings just in a one square mile area. Um, before Blackstone, it, it was two. Um, we hired hundreds of people. I think last year alone, we hired maybe 350 people. Like it, it was a tremendous hiring spree, you know, with their full support. We invested, like I mentioned, we invested $10 million in building out AI that would identify the collectibles, which would make that process much more efficient, as well as do some of the preliminary grading tasks. We invest, invested another... $15 million in a, a new sort of ERP system. For those who don't know, that's like the internal processing system for a company. Um, it's just been investment after investment and they have not pressured us to, to cut back or anything like that. We are though, I mean, look in the current economy, we're being a little cautious, but they really were the right partner 
And the way that that's benefited customers, we have no backlog in cards. In comics, our turnaround time went from maybe six months for a modern comic book. We're now two weeks for a modern comic book. Um, we've introduced brand new online submission forms for comics and cards. They're much easier for people to use. Uh, we introduced population reports for cards, registries for cards. We're working on a lot of other really cool stuff that'll make the process simpler, um, you know, some of which will be announced in the coming months. So there's there's been so much, you know, overtly and also just intrinsic to the company that's changed that I think it's been really exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish about our future, uh, you know, and, and all the opportunities that it, it brings us. No, I, I think it's something that, you know, the idea of a backlog in cards is, is somewhat well known as an if issue, but you think about it, like take a step back, like most businesses on average find it hard to even get customers. It's like you have so many customers, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to handle, but it sounds like Blackstone was able to help you build out the infrastructure where now uh, that isn't as much of a challenge. Now, uh, if, if you look to, let's say, I don't know, your own goals or where you'd like to be in like a few years from now, is does, does growth mean to you more like efficiency around your current services? Is it expanding new services? Is it new types of collectibles? Maybe like a mixture of things, maybe new markets, I'm not sure. Uh, where, where does, what does growth look like to you and like where your own focus is? Yeah, look, it's, it's probably all of the above. So I think anyone who's, you know, in operations would tell you that efficiency is a continuous process. Like you're never efficient enough. And so even though we've made great strides in cards and comics and coins, there is still a lot of work that we have to do. We want to not only be as fast as possible. We want to have the highest quality, whether, you know, with, with the holders, the grading quality is already there, but just in terms of like making sure the holders don't have scratches or anything like that. So there's always improvements that could be made there and we're going to continue to do that. So I think providing the best possible service in each of the existing categories, that always remains number one. On top of that though, we want to make our services more accessible. Like we believe that if you are a new collector, it's a little difficult, quite frankly, to, to make the leap to send your collectibles for grading. I mean, you have to learn about the grading company. You have to learn enough about the collectibles just to fill out the grading company's form. I think there's a lot that could be done through technology. And I'm talking AI. I'm talking just improved like user interfaces on, the, on our website to make it a lot easier, or mobile app for that matter, to make it a whole lot easier for somebody to just send us the collectible. We can't make it difficult for people to send the collectible to us. And right now it's a little too difficult. So that's like, the, the, that's sort of like the UI efficiency that we want to focus on. Um, on top of that, look, we're, we are really good at expanding it to new collectible categories. So there's always ones on our radar. I mentioned VHS and toys. Who knows, maybe vinyls next, we're, we're still assessing. And expanding it to other countries too. Like we, we know how to, we know how to build efficient operations and we know how to expand. And so I think that those, um, strengths of ours will easily propel our growth for, you know, I, we've got our work cut out for us for at least the next three to five years. No, it's a really exciting time for, for collectibles. And I love to hear the, the story of like the growth that you foresee you're aiming at. I'd, I'd love to, to kind of talk a bit about like the market dynamics now and get your, your take on a few things, but maybe before we do that, if we could dive a bit deeper into, you know, kid max again. So it sounds like, Coins was your first first love. Uh, I guess two questions around that. One, 
Because it's, it's interesting. Like, it's something I don't hear that often. Usually it's a story like, oh, I was a Yankees fan as a kid because, and that's why I was always collecting that or a Cowboys fan, whatever that might mean. One, I like to dive deeper because I think it's always interesting to understand, like, to the extent that it's understandable, <laughs> what it means to be a collector and, like, maybe why coins meant so much to you and still probably does. And then maybe a second question beyond that, are there other things that you collect vigorously uh, beyond coins? So, yeah, I just love to hear the story about how, how this, this all came about. Yeah, I mean, I probably couldn't tell you what made five-year-old me just organize the coins that were on the counter by date and denomination. Like, I don't, I don't even know. But so there's something that maybe I was just born with. There was like this, you know, obsessive gene that just told me I had to do that. But as I started to get more serious about coins, I connected that with my love of history. Like I loved reading about history, watching the History Channel, whatever. So that's probably not nostalgia technically, but it is kind of like connecting the past with something that's very tangible in the future. And so, or, or, or in the present, I should say. And so what really was, was beautiful for me was that coins made real the stuff that I was seeing in my textbook or seeing on TV. I was like, wow, this ancient coin was something that could have been held by a gladiator, you know, 2000 years ago. And so that got me really excited. It's sort of the like, what if, who, who, you know, who could have been a scenario. And that's kind of guided a lot of my other collecting. I mean, and you know, it, it's so easy for me to just get obsessed, you know, into another category. So like for, for a period of time, stamps were really, really interesting to me, especially covers. Like I just loved covers because, you know, those are basically like envelopes that were mailed. And so I would then like look up to see who the person was who sent it, who received it. And it would sort of be like a treasure hunt almost in a really nerdy way. I mean, as I say this, it sounds so incredibly nerdy, but I would like love to look that up. And then I would start to connect it to like things in my life. So I wanted to see, okay, can I find covers that are from Sarasota and then for my street that are in Sarasota? And so this is how you go down this. It's like a collector rabbit hole where you just keep like clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking and you can't stop. You know, and then I was talking to some of the people over here um, about our plans for CGC Toys, you know, our, our toy grading company that we're working on. And next thing you know that I'm buying Funko, uh, Funko Pops. Um, from Seinfeld and The Sopranos just because, like, they're TV shows that I like. And so I thought it'd be cool to own some Funko Pops. And, you know, it's not something I ever thought I would buy. But now I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. And I love antique maps. Um, I like the way that they, I, you know, I like just visualizing, like, you know, here's how that journey could have been and then connecting it with some of the coins and the covers that I have. So I think the one, the one challenge for me as a collector is that it's hard to stay focused on any one thing. And I would advise somebody who's collecting. Well, first of all, the first thing I would say is collect what you like. Like it doesn't, don't worry about like, is it going to be worth a lot of money? First collect what brings you passion. Cause that's really what it's all about. Like what makes you happy? Um, I never, when I buy something, I don't want to get ripped off, but I never think, is this going to be worth 10 X in 20 years? Like I, I don't care about that. I just want to have, you know, something that I think is cool. Um, but I would also probably recommend be focused if you can and collect like a series. Cause I, I cannot do that. Like I just, if it's interesting, I just, I want it. Well, it sounds like you're in a perfect position then because you're not, you're not just uh, the head of a grading company. It's just for one item, but like all, all a mixture of things. Maybe it kind of is in line with your own sort of mixture of interests. And I also uh, really like the, the comment there about it, it being so passion driven because it's interesting to, to reflect on, the mixture of people who are in collectibles. Like I've talked to people that are purely like unemotional about a collectible and it's just, 
kind of like ROI to them, which totally respect that approach. I have some other folks I talk to who are just deeply, deeply in love with, let's say, I don't know, a particular franchise like Pokemon or or sports sports team, regardless of whether or not the team's doing well or, or the card price or whatever is going up. So it's, it's an interesting thing to me. And it sounds like also you know, there's an element of uh, interest in nostalgia and history being something that even when you were younger, because it reminded me, actually, I just I just literally remember this as you were talking, but my my dad used to watch Antiques Roadshow. You know that that show where that where it's like they, yeah, for sure. they they take this old furniture and someone would be like, oh, here this was from the 1700s and this was most likely it like in the Queen Elizabeth time, whatever. And I just remember the connection of an item to like a period in history. Uh, it sounds like that might be also like an element of what what you're interested in. Is is that something where? Maybe growing up, was this something you're doing by yourself or is it like a family event at times? Yeah, well, so it became a family event. So I grew up in, in Brooklyn and the big okay. show at the time um, was this quarterly show in Westchester. So it's called West Pinex, and they used to do a, a sports show there. In fact, they still do a sports show there. Um, and I remember, you know, once every three months, my dad would drive me and my brother up to that show and we would attend this sort of young numismatist program. And then we'd go around the floor. They called it the Bors floor. Um, we'd go around and we'd be buying, uh, um, you know, coins for for my collection. And my brother, who's two years younger than me, he also started collecting. Like you, you couldn't avoid it. Like he was exposed to it. He and I share many similar traits. And um, he, you know, funny enough, actually got into the collectibles business too. Like as soon as he he was, you know, he did internships too throughout college. Like very similar track. Um, and then he got a job with Heritage Auctions right after he graduated college. So. He's been there for 10 or 11 years now. Um, he loves it as well. Uh, very interested on their coin side. I was always more into like U.S. coins. He's into ancient coins. So we kind of carved out our, our, our niches. Um, but yeah, I mean, we talk all the time, which is kind of, it's kind of nice um, to have your sibling in the business because it gives us something to uh, connect over just on a, on a daily basis. And, you know, for a while before COVID, it's kind of funny. He and I would see each other more frequently in Asia at coin shows than we would anywhere in the U S like wow. at family events or something like that. Like we just ran into each other all the time, you know, doing that trade show circuit internationally. So, th so that was really fun. No, this is, that's fascinating. I, I, I love also the fact that you have a family member in the industry. Therefore you're probably both able to share ideas on the different things you're seeing. And, and, and as we, as we know, you know, the industry has gone through a lot of change. Like for example, I mean, just, the fact that Blackstone made the investment into CCG is an indication of like maybe perhaps the, the macro level excitement around collectibles. And if you think about the whole sort of like value chain, whether we're talking about an auction house like Heritage, whether we're talking about a grading company, whether we're talking about like technology startups focused on recognition of like pricing, for example, or card quality. Or then you think about um, manufacturers like, let's say, Fanatics, for example. Uh, there's There's been a lot of change and even like M&A, like Collectors Universe these different companies, uh, either brand new ones or acquiring companies. Uh, I'm just trying to think if I should like dive in on one specific area of that, but maybe like before at, at a macro level, what's your, what's your take on, I guess, all this change. I mean, it's, it's just something I'm sure you're, you're, you're paying attention to. So uh, how, how has that changed? Because I know like, let's say 15 years ago, all these things weren't happening. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, um, back when I started in coins, I never could have anticipated 
that, you know, one day I'd be working for a company that would be acquired by the largest private equity company in the world. Like I, I always thought our, you know, especially so, you know, when I joined the company 13 years ago, I thought it was a great business model, a great business, loved what I was doing. I thought that we were doing, you know, and, and still are doing great things for the hobby, like actually helping collectors and dealers um, to, to have more trust and be, be safer in the hobby. But in terms of like just it being a big business, I don't think I could have predicted that. And I'm not sure that that our founder, you know, Mark Salzberg or our, our CEO, Steve Eichenbaum, I don't know that they ever would have thought that it would be as big as it is today. But it is a great model and collectibles have proven to just be a very resilient hobby business or industry, whatever you want to call it, where whether the economy is doing well or the economy is doing poorly, like it's something that because most people are passionate about it or because it doesn't necessarily correlate with the stock market, it's a really, really interesting area for a lot of people for a variety of reasons. And you sort of spoke to some of them. And so I think what what companies like Blackstone or um, you know uh, uh, the acquirers of Collectors Universe um, sort of determined is that there are these secular tailwinds that are driving a lot of people to collectibles. And it's not just like a hobby. It's not just like a, a flash in the pan. Like this is a trend and they want to be a part of this trend. And I think, you know, they are much smarter than I am when it comes to, to finance, but I can, uh, I can speak for them. I think when I say like when they assess certified collectibles group, wasn't just a great company, wasn't just a great team. It was an industry that they wanted to be in because they had tremendous confidence that this industry was growing. And thus far, we've been you know part of Blackstone for two years. They have definitely been proven correct. So I think they're very happy with their investment. And from what I'm seeing, um, even though the broader economy has a, a great deal of uncertainty right now, I think collectibles is a very safe place to be. And look, we've seen in certain categories, and I think you even alluded to this, like you know, sports cards prices have come down a bit. Video games prices have come down a bit. On the other hand, coins, paper money, they're doing phenomenally. Comics is still very strong. Even non-sports trading cards or trading card games, those are doing very, very well right now. And great items of any category are doing great because people always want the best. So there's still a lot of opportunity in collectibles. And what's great for the certified collectibles group, we're very diversified. So if we yeah. have a little bit of weakness elsewhere, we may have a lot of strength in another place. And so we've sort of seen this record of continuous growth that's been um, really, really lucky, I, th I think, for us and, and just a testament to the strength of the collectibles business. Well, I, I'd hate to have to ask you to, like, pick your favorite child out of, like, all the different collectibles that, you know, CCG covers. But uh, is there an area or, let, like, like for example, like non-sports trading cards, Funko, toys, vinyl, coins, whatever. Is there an area you think maybe isn't talked about enough relative to where you feel like the most exciting opportunity exists? That's a great question. And it, you know, what's interesting um, about how I've seen the collectibles business is for us, there's been a, there's a significant divide between the coin and paper money side and the pop culture side, the pop culture and sports side. And so if I'm talking to the coins and paper money people, they may lament that, they don't get any attention. Like everybody's talking about sports cards, even though the coin business is gigantic. It's like a multi-billion dollar business between all the sales just domestically. It's a huge business. Paper money is a huge business, but nobody talks about it. It doesn't get any headlines really. Um, so they would tell you one thing, I think in the pop culture categories, 
they may tell you something different. Like comic books, for example, they may say that pulp grading, you know, which so pulps predate comic books, that's the next big thing. And nobody's paying attention to that. And we need to get into that. And you'll hear different things from the sports card people or the video game people. You know, in the video game people, um, that category is still pretty small, despite how many people have a connection to video games. So I, I'm, I'm very bullish on the growth prospects there because I think as more and more people recognize like, wow, this stuff is legitimately rare and whether, you know, absolutely or conditional, um, it's going to drive a lot more people into that market. So that I, th I think, I don't think I really answered your question, but I think there's underrepresented parts of every vertical, which is exciting because if you can sort of latch onto one of those, there's a lot of opportunity um, for you to build a collection and potentially an investment. No, totally. And I think it's, it's really interesting to think about potentially a, a new influx of collectors across all these different categories. I, I'd love to know, you know, so a lot of our, our audience is quite well versed in the topic, but always interested to hear how experts in the industry like would let necessarily like describe the value proposition to let's say a brand new collector. So like hypothetically, let's say I had no idea what a grading company did and I have a mixture of collectibles from coins to cards to whatever else, video games. Uh, how do you describe like how someone goes through the process of, of let's say picking a grading company, because there are, there are several out there. Uh, should they think about specialty? Should they think about like resale value? Should they think about technology, like customer service? I love to know, obviously, from where you're sitting, how you describe that uh, to a brand new collector, how they should assess grading companies like CCG or others. Yeah, well, you should always do your research before choosing a grading company or before choosing a collectible. And I think in that research, I would ask questions like, how long has the grading company been in business? I really do think that that's an important factor. And, and you know, clearly we've been in business for, for now 36 years. It really shows the stability and the backing of that grading service. What you don't want to do is go to a grading service that may not exist a year from now or two years from now or get sold to somebody who, who doesn't sort of understand the future of that, that company. So I do think that longevity speaks a lot to the credibility of the grading service. I would look at the prices realized of the collectibles that they certify. You know, After they grade them, do they sell for more money? How much more money do they sell? I do think that's a really important factor. Who are their experts? Do they actually say like, you know, who's grading the collectibles? I personally, when I'm looking at like a, a competitor or a, an upstart grading service, the first thing I do is I click on their about page. I want to see who runs that company and who works for them and see if they know their stuff. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It, it, it's, it's really varied. And, you know, look, I would say the last thing is, you know, because once it's graded, the holder becomes a part of the collectible. I mean, you're not just holding like a sports card, you're holding an encapsulated sports card, a graded encapsulated sports card. You want a nice looking holder. I mean, I th that's always important to me because I like to put stuff on display stands, um, you know, and, and show them off. And I know a lot of the people around the company do the same thing with their personal collections. You want something that looks good and that, that would look good on a shelf. So those are the factors that I'd look at. There's probably a whole lot more. The guarantee might be a great one is, do they guarantee the services that they provide? And if there's a problem, can you go back to the company and will they make you whole? That's critical. And a lot of companies don't have any guarantee. Some do. So, you know, there are, Some of our competitors have stated guarantees, but there are other ones who do not say what they would do if they make a mistake. And look, everybody's human. 
We all make mistakes once in a while. If we make a mistake, we've got a guarantee you can come back to us. We offer you know a remuneration in that event. Um, so I, I would I would pay attention to the, some of those finer details. No, I, I I love hearing that, and I know we're, we're kind of running out of time here. So I'm gonna ask like a couple more questions before we close out, but. One thing I'm really interested in, you know, if you think about what we at New Street try to to cover, it's a mixture of physical and digital collectibles. And digital collectibles, you know, it can mean anything from, of course, there's a lot of conversation on NFTs, uh, a lot of ups and downs in what that even means. Uh, digital collectibles could also mean other types of things. But I'd love to just get your take on, as you've seen firsthand the evolution of collectibles, and as you see perhaps the future that will continue to change, uh, what's your take on on digital collectibles, NFTs? How is that, if it is a part of what you're thinking about right now, how how is that affecting uh, how, how like your take on how the industry will evolve? Yeah, for sure. We're we're staying close to the development with digital collectibles, and there's really there's like two types of digital collectibles. There's the ones that are purely digital; they only exist digitally, and then there's the digital version of a physical collectible. And there, to me at least, and maybe maybe this is different for everybody, but there's a big difference between those. And I think, you know, with physical collectibles, one of the problems is they take up a lot of space. They're expensive to ship. They're expensive to store. They're expensive to insure. I mean, we know based on how many collectibles we're holding here, like it, a lot of work goes into that. And I think there's an opportunity for digital versions of physical collectibles to maybe solve a liquidity issue. Um, collectibles are becoming more and more li liquid, you know, by the day, but this could potentially be a leap forward where they could actually get traded, you know, digitally rather than physically. And a lot of companies, you know, we're working with PWCC, for example, um, on a partnership with their vault and marketplace. So you could get it graded and then sent to their vault and then traded, um, without ever having to take the collectible again. So it solves a little bit of that problem. And I think there's more that could be done in that space. And then on the collectibles that are purely digital, I honestly do not know enough about those. So I can't really comment on those. I think they're interesting, but I don't know if there's a place for our company in that space, to be honest, because a lot of those, you know, they're either real or they're not. Like it's not, you don't need to necessarily grade them, but it's interesting. And we like to, um, we like to stay close to it because, you know, like we've seen in our other physical collectible worlds, sometimes the industry approaches you with a problem and you've got the solution and we're always open to hear those ideas. Amazing. Uh, now I'd love to end with the same two questions I ask every guest. First one being where can people find you, I guess, across social media, website, email, whatever. Uh, and the second final question being what's one last message you'd like to leave with the audience? Sure. Well, to find us, go to collectiblesgroup.com. We have a lot of different social media channels depending on which brand, whether it's NGC or CGC or CGC trading cards. So you could find all of them from the collectiblesgroup.com website. I would definitely encourage you to subscribe to our free email newsletters. We send a lot of really interesting content out on those. If there's some, you know, there may be something that just, um, you know, sort of strikes your interest. So I would, um, you know, I would, I, I think it'd be great if, if you engage with us on our um, digital channels. And then as far as a thought to leave people with, look, I think hopefully it's come across how passionate I am about the collectible space. But more importantly, I think what people should realize is I am one of probably 400 
super passionate collectors at the Certified Collectibles Group. Like it's a big business, but it's really driven by very, very passionate collectors. We love what we're doing. We care very deeply about the quality of our services, the accuracy of our grading, the encapsulation, because ultimately a lot of this stuff we're, we're putting into our own personal collection. Um, so I think it's important for people to recognize that we do this because we love it and it's really an exciting business. And that's why I've been you know, at the same place for, uh, for 13 years and counting. Amazing to hear your story. Thank you so much, Max, for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the New Street X podcast. Learn more about Max and CCG in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you.